from the book of Genesis. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. This is our week four of our series on the sacraments in Genesis, and it also happens to be our fourth week centered around the life of Abraham. And as much as I, you know, I'm, I'm a preschool chaplain, and there's a song that has been going through my mind for four weeks now. Anybody familiar with Father Abraham? You ever, do, you, ever be, you know, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. It's a huge hazard, right? And the kids are always jumbled up and, and pushing with each other, but uh, Dr. Barron would not allow me to do that today. So I respect your decision, but all that being said, this idea of Father Abraham is a profound theological truth, and it's something that I want to look at through our text today. What does it mean that Abraham is the father of faith? Like, what does it mean that, that we pattern ourselves after Abraham as our father of faith? Even Jesus in the New Testament refers to people of uh, children of faith as what? The sons of who? Sons of Abraham. And I'd say it's by, by this foundational priestly act that he does in this text that has all of God's future children be sons of Abraham, not by blood, but by living out the pattern of this faith. Now, as you may expect, this is no surprise, I've got three points for today. So, three points. They are uh, the foundation of the priesthood, the fulfillment of the priesthood, and the kingdom of priests. So, we've got foundation, fulfillment, and kingdom of priests. All right, let's jump in. Now, you may have noticed over the past few weeks that Abraham, you've been following Abraham's life, how difficult it's been getting. I mean, do you ever have one of those days? You know, it's the day that, that things just keep coming up. It's the day that you kind of notice that you've hit every single red light that's possible to hit and then double that on your way back you know, forth from work. And you're like, Lord, could, you know, could we just, could we just maybe get to the end of this? Well, that's what it feels like when we read Abraham's life. It's just this succession of difficult things that keep happening to him, right? First, he has to leave his family leave everything that he's ever known, cut off from the world that he grew up in, which is, you know, similar to our baptism, and put that away. And then he's got this great uniting with God and this sacrificial meal, the Eucharist, right, of coming together and uniting with God. It's the, the leave and then the cleave to God. He, he errs, as we heard last week. He goes on this little, not little detour, kind of a major detour, and then he's reunited with God. And so there's this pattern of faith that he lives out that all of us live into. But now, now is the ultimate test. I was glad I didn't read that passage because I honestly have a hard time getting through it without getting choked up. This is perhaps one of the heaviest, most profound texts in all of Scripture. And if, you know, if for, if for Abraham, leaving the world was kind of his entry exam, if parting from his son Ishmael was his midterm, well, this would be his final Right? Nothing, nothing is more difficult than this. For you who are parents in here, would you, you know, how much would you rather not jump in front of a train for the sake of your kids than to offer them up? And we get that sense from this text. There's a real hollowing out of what happens. And it's also a recapitulation of everything that he's been through before. Do you remember Abraham's first call from his family? Leave your country, your people, your father's household. That threefold repetition, you all track with me? Listen to how this text goes. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. It's the harder leaving. 
And you see parallels with this with Ishmael too. God calls for both sons to be given up. Both nearly die. Both, spoiler alert, I mean, you heard the text, they get saved by an angel opening someone's eyes. This is the, the most difficult thing that Abraham has ever had to do, and it's the culmination of all of the tests of faith, all of his, his moments of achieving greater faithfulness that went on before it. It's the most difficult thing that God could possibly ask of him or anyone, right? This precious gift that you have wanted your whole life, that I have given to you, give it back and see what I will do. So we see in our text that the morning after God speaks with him, Abraham saddles his donkey. He gets two hired hands. He gathers some wood. You know, we can assume he kisses his wife goodbye, and he sets out with his beloved son Isaac to the mountain of God. You know, it's two days and nights of walking beside him, of sharing meals, of sleeping next to him, sharing stories. And then on the third day, Abraham looks up and the mountain of God has drawn into view. No more time. And so they stop, and Abraham takes the knife to slaughter and the torch to burn, and he gives Isaac the wood to bear on his back for the sacrifice. But when you read the text, you realize the burden is Abraham's. It's not Isaac's to be born with the wood, it's Abraham's, because as he is ascending the mountain of God, he is bearing not only his own hopes, right, is God really the God of his promises. He's also bearing the hopes of his wife, Sarah, who is 90 when she had her first child, and her reaction was laughter, right, complete joy and disbelief. They're bearing the hopes of all successive generations. God didn't say to Abraham, hey, by a son, I'm going to, to create these successive generations of people. He said, by this one, Isaac, that's where all my people are going to come from. No one else. All of these are the weights that Abraham is bearing up this mountain. That, that if God would keep his promises, all of these things would happen. And Abraham goes to where he's appointed, and he's faithful. He builds the altar. He's faithful to the binding of his son, you know, who, 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 by the way, doesn't complain, doesn't fight back, doesn't open his mouth. He's faithful even to the raising of the knife. And, you, you know, there's, there's spec like, what was Abraham thinking, right? I mean, what was going through his mind at this point? Well, we don't actually have to guess. The author of Hebrews said that uh, Abraham knew that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead in order to fulfill his promises, and so here he is in a state of you know, complete exposure before the Lord, complete vulnerability, and yet he has complete trust. Even if I have to go through this, Lord, you can bring him back for me. And it's hard not to wonder as you read this text, like, could we do the same? And speaking for myself, you know, we who have difficulty trusting God that he would, you know, somehow make use of and redeem the time that we spend in prayer. Like, God, if I offer this to you, like, can you do something with that? Can you redeem it? Right? If I, offer, if I offer my efforts to God, you know, if I go out and do things for the Lord, is that really going to be worthwhile in the end? Can he redeem that? If I offer my finances to the Lord, like, God, will you really do something worthwhile? Can you actually redeem this if I offer it to you? 
You know, do we really believe that what we offer to God could be returned to us and create such an abundance that we could hardly believe his goodness to us? Is that the level of faith that we bring as sons and daughters of Abraham? You know, because that's how, that is how God responds to Abraham. God takes what Abraham offered him, his own son, all that he had and more, and he gave him such an abundance that it demonstrated the goodness of God, right? God spared his son. He confirmed his promise. He multiplied, we find this out in Scripture, Abraham's descendants, and he made them, perhaps most significantly of all, his own people with his stamp bearing his mark, his special and unique people. And while Abraham was going up the mountain bearing the weight of his and Sarah's hopes and bearing uh, you know, the weight of all the hopes of successive generations that would come after him, the whole future of the people of God, and offers this to God, what he receives back is a testimony to God's goodness. Because as he descends the mountain now, he is bearing the testimony of God's goodness and his faithfulness, the stories of how incredible and wonderful and worthwhile it is to serve the God who spares nothing for his people. One of the reasons that we call this the foundational act of priesthood in Scripture is because, I mean, one, it's foundational in a literal sense. I don't even know if you know, if, if you know this. Uh, Mount Moriah, this mountain, is that only mentioned twice in Scripture, right? This is the first place that it's mentioned, the, the place of sacrifice. And the second place it's mentioned is this actually becomes the literal place where the temple that Solomon builds, its foundation, all of the priesthood, all of God's relationship with the people through the temple sacrifice is built on this act. The foundation of the priesthood is bearing the burdens of others up the mountain to God. It's interceding for them. It's bringing them up to the Lord. It's offering everything to the Lord at the top of the mountain, and then it's returning with a testimony of God and His very presence to others. This is fundamentally what it means to be a priest. And to do so properly, without absolute disaster, requires two things. So we see Abraham doing this act, right? Bearing up, receiving God, and bearing the testimony back down. But what, is that, what does it require to do that? This is a question that we all have to ask ourselves, and it's an essential question. What are the two things that that requires? Well, the first thing that it requires is it requires complete love for and identification with the people that you are bringing up before the Lord. Has anybody ever experienced um, pastoral care or somebody who, you know, feels that they're very close with God? Like, they can do the, like, talking about God to you thing, but the whole uh, compassion and empathy and identification thing with people is kind of lacking. Have you ever experienced that before? It's like, you know, I love God, but, you know, I have contempt for everyone else. I'm dismissive towards everyone else. Their, their needs don't matter. I'm not really bearing them up before the Lord. I'm really just telling them how God says that they should be living. Anybody ever experienced that type of priesthood, that you know, one-sided priesthood? From anybody, right? I see a few fingers pointing up here. Please hold that for later. I'm kidding. Um, the cameras can't see that. All right. So, so we have this one, like, you know, this one lopsided way of priesthood, barring the way to God. But, you know, again, it in contradistinction to that, Abraham fully identifies with his people. And then the second way that the priesthood kind of goes astray is, is when people love others very well, 
but then they don't have complete love and devotion for God. Does anybody know this type of priesthood? It's kind of the minister that says, you know, is willing to condemn God's word, is willing to be dismissive of what God would bring people, has no connection to the Lord, but is all about loving and caring for others. Anybody ever experienced something like this? People who apologize for what God's word says, you know, are hesitant to talk about it, won't be honest or truthful about God's words. Do you see how that's also kind of a lopsided priesthood? But in Abraham, we have these two things united, full love and compassion for the people and full, heart, full devotion to the Lord. And this is why Abraham becomes the father of faith, the foundation of the priesthood. And he freely gives back that which has been given. You know, we mentioned ago about this idea of giving God our all, this idea of gift giving, right? The measure of a gift, you might remember this, is not in how much is given, but in how little is withheld. And Abraham goes up and gives his all. He withholds nothing to the Lord. But then again, neither does God. And that brings us to our second point, the fulfillment of the priesthood. So after this magnificent founding, Israel's priesthood had a rocky history. I won't go through the whole thing with you. But things, the relationship, this idea of bearing things before the Lord and then bearing God's truth to others goes really sideways. Uh, in the time of Jesus, you, do you remember the Sadducees that are in Scripture? Uh, they kind of worked hand in glove with the Roman government. They were so corrupt. They were so corrupt. That, and, and had taxes so high for the people that they ended up owning, owning something like 80% of the houses of the Israelites in Jerusalem because they had taxes that were so high and they just kept foreclosing on people's homes. Is that the mark of the priesthood that Abraham laid out? I would say no. They cared nothing about the truth of God and they cared nothing for their neighbor. But then what do we see in Scripture? The God who withholds nothing sent his own beloved son. And if there was no other reason for this text, for God's call to Abraham, it is for this reason, to demonstrate exactly what Christ was doing for us. Right? Jesus, who bore the hard wood of the cross on his back, who opened not his mouth in protest, who laid down his life of his own accord, and was not spared, but delivered up for us all. Jesus, in this moment, became the fulfillment of the priesthood, both our priest and our offering. This is why the author of Hebrews refers to Jesus as the great high priest. As the God who became man, he bore with him our burdens and our hopes up the hill to the cross. And I, and I think that we pass over this too often, that God who became man, that Jesus fully identified with us, that there is no depth of emotion that, he has not, that you have felt that he did not feel. There's nothing that you have been tempted by that he was not tempted by that he didn't experience. He knows. You know, some of you know I'm getting, you know, I'm on this counseling track, right, for, for school and, and uh, sitting with people. And one of the most fundamental things that you do in a room is you just sit there and you offer empathetic curiosity. That's what we call it. It's just compassion. You sit across from somebody and you demonstrate to them that you can bear whatever it is that they bring to you and you can handle it. And then you provide hope in the sense that if you can handle it, maybe they can too. And that's when the work starts to get done. 
Well, Jesus is our great high priest who fully identifies with us, who sits with us and has experienced what we have experienced and can handle it. And to bear it before the Lord is the fulfillment of what it means to be with people, to sit with people, to bring them up before the Lord. And then when he is in the Lord's presence, right, by his obedience, he offers all of himself, the greatest possible act and gift of devotion. And while we, you and I, might still be tempted to hold things back from God, right, to, to, to not quite give those up yet, he didn't. Full offering of himself. And then by his death and resurrection, Jesus comes back down the mountain, providing the greatest possible testimony of God's goodness to us. Think about the questions that we have about God's goodness that were answered by Jesus on the cross. There's three questions we always ask anybody to see whether or not we can engage and get close to them. They are, do you really care about me? Can I trust you and can you really help me? You all track with me on that? Well, think about how Jesus answers those questions for us on the cross. And we might ask, God, do you really care about me? What does the cross say to that? Enough to die. We might ask God, God, can I trust you? On the cross, Jesus answers, I have fulfilled every promise. And we might ask, you know, God, can you really help me? Well, as we give things to God, he answers us, see if I do not return everything that you offer to me and more besides. And you might ask, well, how do we, how do, we do that? How do we offer something to the Lord and see what he does with it? Well, you're having a difficult time with your, your kids or your family, right? Pray before the Lord. Offer it and give it up to him. See what his word says to you. Live out what his word says to you and invite him into the process of transformation and see what he does. Financial things, Father Chris has talked about this in Malachi, right? That promise of God, the giving of things to God and see what he returns to us in abundance. Test me in this, says the Lord. Marriage, right? That can be tricky. Invite God into your marriage. Treat your spouse as one that God loves. We'll talk about that a bit more next week and see what God can do with it. This is how we offer and present unto things of the Lord, and what God does with those is what we bring back down from the mountain. That is our testimony. What is to the, our testimony is not just what God has done for us on the cross. Our testimony is the ongoing story of what God is doing in our lives. That's what we bring back down the mountain. Which brings us to our third point, the kingdom of priests. How do we all engage with this? Well, there's a saying in the church, and I'm not going to pretend everybody knows. In fact, I just learned about the saying. So, but there's a saying in the church, all are priests, some are priests, one is priest. All are priests, some are priests, one is priest. And this is what this means. You know, it's true that there are differentiations between clergy and laity, right? There's even differentiations between a priest, a deacon, and a bishop. As a priest, I can't ordain anyone, right? But I can do the ABCs of absolve, bless, and consecrate. Um, if you've ever witnessed the sacrament of, or, of, of ordination, what you see is this sacrament of the outward and visible sign, the laying on of hands, that confers the inward and spiritual grace to perform certain functions. 
The Holy Spirit is, we operate, all of us operate through the actions of God that chooses us to do particular things. But it's only in Christ. It's all Him. Only in Christ, because again, one is priest, right? He's the one who absolves. He's the one who blesses. He's the one who consecrates. And He does through, through clergy the tangible representation of His presence. That's the sum our priests. But then there's the, the church, the church that are God's priests to the world. If Jesus is the priest to the clergy who are priests to the people of God, then the people of God are the priests to the world. No one gets out of this without a role. You're not getting off the hook today, right? We're talking about priesthood, but it's not just me. Old Testament refers to God's people as a kingdom of priests. St. Peter refers to us as a royal priesthood. It's the work of every Christian to intercede and bring the world to God. And that can be difficult. Anybody ever borne somebody's burdens? Had someone just come to you and unload to you? So much so that you didn't know what to do with them. You weren't sufficient to answer it. I have. But that's not our role, is it? It's to bring them before the Lord and to see what He will do. That's how we bear burdens and intercessions of others. It's also to pray for them. It's also to shoulder their burdens, and it's also to bring people before the Lord physically. Here's my evangelism pitch. Are you ready? Talking about being a kingdom of priests and bringing people before the Lord. You know that 82% of people said that they would likely go to church if somebody just asked them? 82% said that they would likely go if somebody just said, hey, what do you do on Sunday? Would you like to come to church with me? God's doing some pretty amazing things in my life, and I'd like to, I'd like to kind of bring you into that if you'd be willing. Do you know, now here's the, here's the guilting part. You all ready for, for some good old Catholic guilt? Um, only 2% of Christians have ever invited an unchurched person to church. 2%. But we're a kingdom of priests. We're a royal priesthood. That's our job, to bring people before the Lord. It's an essential part of being priests in the world. So that's us coming up the mountain and bearing things to God, Right? So what do we do now that we're on top of the mountain? By the way, have you noticed, here's, here's a litur sermon liturgical minute, that the altar is elevated in the middle, representing what? Mountain of God, where his, where his presence is. So when we're at the mountain of God, what we do every Sunday is we come before the Lord with a full offering of ourselves to recommit, to rededicate ourselves to him every Sunday. This is the stuff that our testimony is made of, the things that we offer to God and he does something with and gives back to us to see what it, so that we can see what he does. Simply bearing our testimony then to others as we come down the mountain is the stuff of our essential goodness. Your testimony is your own story of what God is doing. You know, when we say at the end of the Mass, let us go forth in the name of Christ, that is coming down the mountain, bearing the testimony of God's goodness out into the world. This is our priestly act, bearing the witness of who God is and what he has done. And if that ever seems awkward or difficult or terrifying to talk about God, just remember, be sincere and tell your own story. It's your story. Who's going to argue with that? This is how I've seen God in my life. No, you haven't. <laughs> You're not going to say that. But our coming down the mountain is bearing with sincerity the story of what God has done, His ongoing work on our lives. So let us be encouraged by the fact that we are all called to be God's particular kingdom of priests into a world that does not know him and continually forgets about him and stands opposed to him. We have plenty to do. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, you have called us to be a kingdom of priests. You have called us all to particular functions, to certain areas within your kingdom, within your household. A royal priesthood designated to bring the goodness of you, to function as your body, your hands and feet out into the world, and bring your presence to those who do not yet know you so that we can all live in, by faith as sons of Abraham. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith, that you would continually give us opportunities to give up ourselves, our things, our souls, our bodies to you, that you would work in those things and transform and redeem them and give them back to us in abundance, a continual demonstration of your goodness and greatness towards us, so that we can continue to live as the children of promise. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.